Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. Welcome back to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast. My name is Tobe Johnson, and with me again is the director, Brett Eichenberger, and producer Jill Remen-Snyder. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Well, uh, we got a great guest here again, and we're trying to do these in chronological order and the way that you watch the documentary here. So as we go through the panel and list of uh, witnesses and Yes, uh, that's the way we're going to do it here. So our next guest is the bow hunter that we open up with, Mark Parker. And um, there's a lot to say about Mark here in part one and part two, but uh, we mostly follow his story as it was left off in part one. Isn't that right, guys? That's right. Yeah. Mark did have an incredible encounter. Um, You know, a lot of the sightings that people have are flashes of beauty and Mark's sighting was extended. You know, he had about a, a good 15, 20 seconds of a sighting where he made eye contact with this being. So he's going to elaborate on that. And unfortunately we didn't have enough time in our documentary to really get into some of those details and some of what was occurring prior to his visual. Yeah. In fact, there's some news that kind of broke while we were doing the interview regarding some missing SD cards, which, um, you know, it may be interesting. If you want to watch the YouTube channel, there's probably going to be some interesting photos on here for you to look at. But um, Mark has a he has a story to tell as it relates to a couple experiences he had and even had experience beforehand before his initial sighting in the same area we get to that and uh, talk about the difference between bow hunting and rifle hunting and whether or not that played a part in that and also um we kind of tease uh with one of his sightings for the sequel and um and some really interesting things, uh, what you're talking about, the SD cards and uh, the photos he took, and also some other um, events uh, that surround his, his second sighting and what that's played into as of late. Yeah, Mark is not only, you know, just a, an active bow hunter. He's kind of on the rehab right now. He's probably uh, going to be out in the woods here this summer doing it again. But, um, you know, Mark is a sponsored bow hunter out of one of the well-known um, bow hunting uh, clinics, I call them, or bow hunting shops out of Springfield, Oregon, a place that uh, some celebrities go to. Certainly, um, I've been in there a couple of times to see if they had any Bigfoot reports and, um 
you know, so for Mark, this is not just something that he does as a, a passing fancy. He's a, uh, I don't know if I'd call him a professional bow hunter, but I think he's a professional bow hunter. And, um, you know, for me, as far as class of witnesses, bow hunters are at the top of the list as far as witnesses because of the differences between how close they have to get to being, you know, predator and prey. So it's a great episode. What do you say we uh, get into it? Uh, Jill, you got one last thing to say. You know, I would just say um, also because Mark grew up in the woods hunting and uh, avid hunter or or was up until his encounter, um, I would really encourage other hunters, whether you're a believer or not, to uh, listen to his story. And uh, I don't know, just uh, keep it in your back pocket for uh, if something happens to you later or if you know someone who's who claims to have seen something. Yeah, and just to just to build on that, Jill, I think that's part of our our theme with our film is we want to be able to kind of get people out there to talk about it. We the conversation needs to become more and more normal, you know, similar to following in the footsteps of uh, some of those that have had UFO sightings. We want to try and do the same with Bigfoot because we know that this is a phenomenon that's occurring across the country. Many many people have seen them and they haven't told a soul, and we would like to get those stories out there. So if anybody has any questions for you or Mark or myself, how can they reach out? The best way to reach out is info at bigfoot.gov. That, that cut. That's all right. Go ahead. That's all right. We all drink. Um, I started right. saying that. And I was thinking if that's the best way to do it. Um, you know, info Brett, at bigfoot.com. The Facebook page is. Um, I think the Facebook I, page, yeah. That's the yeah. Be- that's going to have the quickest response time. Okay, um, let's, take, let's let's take that again. Yeah, um, yeah. So take two. The best, I think, the best way to reach us is through Facebook, and you can send us a private message. Send us a private message, and and um, and or you know, um, search search us on Google. We're not hard to get a hold of. And that's it. Flash of beauty, right on Facebook. Yep, flash right. Bigfoot revealed. All right, you can hound them with all your Bigfoot questions, and you can also, I'll let you know in this interview, how to reach out to Mark personally if you are a hunter or just uh, you know a fan of his story and interested in the details. Um, Mark Parker, great witness, uh, excellent hunter, and you'll be hearing more from him coming out here this Memorial Day weekend in Forks, Washington, the premiere of Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot. Get your tickets now at SasquatchTheLegend.com. That's going to be Memorial Day weekend, 2023, Forks, Washington. Come see us there if you like. All right, we'll try to get Mark Parker there as well. Our interview with Mark. Hello, Mark Parker. Hey, how's it going? It's good to see you again, Mark. And um, we've had a uh, a lot of comments about your initial interview. But uh, for those of the people that haven't seen Flash of Beauty, I, I hope that you do go watch it now. And um, you'll you'll be intrigued by Mark's encounter for certain. But just remind folks and let people know um initially what your encounter was and describe it for the people if you can regarding your Sasquatch encounter. Okay. Um, I was over in Eastern Oregon doing some elk hunting and 
been hearing some weird noises uh, every morning back behind me from where I was normally sitting. So I decided on that Sunday uh, that I was going to head back in there and get set down and, and see what was going through. Um, so I got back there about an hour before light and got sat down and uh, was sitting there and it's light. I'm not hearing any movement or anything like that. Mm. Off to my left-hand side, I catch a little movement out of the corner of my eye. So I, I turn my head real slow and I'm looking and I see something peek its head out and go back and it was brown. And I thought, well, it was just so fast. I thought, oh, it's just another hunter, but I never heard him walking and there's a lot of windfall down in there. So it's impossible to be quiet. Everything's breaking, snapping, all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> so I'm watching. It pops its head out and sticks its head out for a second, goes back, and I'm like, that's not a hunter. What the heck is that? And a few seconds later, it sticks its head out again, and that time it, it stayed out. It stayed out for probably, I'm guessing, 15 seconds, something like that. And it just sat there and stared at me and stared at me, and I'm, I'm dumbfounded because it's like, you know, I always believed it was out there, but it was one of those until I see it, then I'll truly believe it. And I'm just looking at it in awe. Just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to, I, I just froze up and sat there all dumbfounded looking at it. And then he finally pulls his head back and I just sat there and started shaking and I never heard it walk off. Nothing. Um, so I sat there for probably five minutes at least, maybe a little longer. And then I just grabbed my stuff and packed up, headed over the hill, dropped to the bottom of the canyon and hiked my way out of there. It, it scared me pretty bad because, it, like I said, it was just one of those that happened so fast. I didn't realize what I was seeing at the moment um, until that second time when he held his head out and, and, and kept it out. Then it was like, OK, yeah, I know what I'm seeing. And, um, I got down to the, back to camp and my buddy was there and, you know, told him the story, what happened, you know, what I'd seen. And, and, uh, you know, he, there's not too many people I've really talked to it about, uh, as far as the guys I hunt with, just because a lot of them are non-believers and it's one of those, I'm not going to waste my breath on people that are going to sit there and poo-poo me and, oh, you saw a bear and, and that sort of stuff. I know what I saw. You're not going to change my mind. You know, no one's going to change my mind. I'm going to start off with a question real quick for you, Mark. <clears throat> Being a hunter in the forest all your life, what? why are these guys too cool to admit that there could be a Bigfoot out there? Are they afraid? Are they scared? I think part of it, they're afraid of being, you know, that guy that's, you know, you're crazy. You've seen Bigfoot. Yeah, right. You know, um, they won't, they don't want to be labeled that guy. So I, I think that's part of it. And uh, I just, I, I think they're afraid to admit, you know, there may be things out there that they're seeing or whatever that um, there's a lot of close minded people. I mean, uh, to everything, you know, whether it be Bigfoot or the paranormal or, ufos or anything like that I, I think people just they don't want to admit even though they may physically see something or whatever they're just they just don't want to admit it you know mark what do you feel about being that guy now are you uh becoming accustomed to being that guy how has it affected you um i'm okay with it um at first i was kind of 
scared to say anything because like I said, I didn't want to be ridiculed or anything like that and, and be poo-pooed on, so to speak. So I didn't really say a whole lot at first. Uh, what really kind of got me started, got me opened, um, I actually went and got a tattoo on the back of my calf of the state of Oregon with a uh, fir tree on it and Bigfoot stepping out from behind the tree with a, a star where it exactly where it happened. And I ended up posting it on uh, a Bigfoot Facebook page for Oregon. And I had a guy contact me. So, um, you know, we messaged back and forth a little bit on Facebook. And then I gave him my number. I talked to him. And um, then I kind of, that's when I kind of started to open up a little bit about it. Because there's, you know, there there are other people out there that obviously have seen and stuff like that. So that made me open up a little bit more about it. And that's how I ended up uh, meeting Daryl was through this guy, Mike. Um, so I kind of, you know, I'll get in groups of people and I'll kind of throw out feeler questions like, hey, you know, what do you think about Bigfoot or, you know, something like that, just to see how they react. And if they say, Oh yeah, I know he's out there or whatever, then I'll tell my story. But if they, Oh, that's bull crap. You know, he's not real. You're crazy. Then, then I just, I keep to myself about it. I don't, I won't say anything, but yeah, no, I mean, if people ask me about it, I'm not afraid to tell them about it. I'll absolutely tell them the story. So I'm, I'm the, you know, it doesn't bother me. Mark, do you, do you think that like uh, within your uh, like the people, you know, who hunt and other hunters, I guess you could say, um, do you think there's a lot of them that have had sightings and experiences that know what they saw, but just are afraid to speak up about it? My direct friends, I don't think so. I don't think any of them have had an encounter. Um, the one guy that ended up coming over for a couple of days and met me to, to hunt over there, he completely believes in them. He, he knows they're, they're out there. He's heard things in the woods that he can't explain. Um, and so, you know, he's a total, total believer in them. And, and I do confide in him quite a bit about it, you know. And um, so I just... The people I know, not so much now, like, you know, outlying from my normal friends. There's a few people that I've talked to that they'll they'll bring it up. And I've told them my experiences and I've showed them some casts from tracks that I've cast. And, um, you know, it blows their mind, uh, you know, some of these tracks, how freaking big they are. And um, so it, it's kind of hard to say. There's I'm sure there's a lot more people that that just won't fess up, you know, they're just not going to fess up about it because they don't want to be that guy. But I, I with at my age, I'm to the point, I don't care. I don't care what people think. So if they want to know the story, I'll tell them the story. If they think I'm crazy, I'm crazy. Mark, did that pull you out of the woods for uh, a period of time? Do you remember that getting the feeling of being hesitant to go back in the wood and the tree line yeah absolutely absolutely i was i took probably a couple weeks off and it was one of those i had a really bad experience with a bear i had a uh, sow rub me down because i got between her and the cub and didn't realize i did and um you know i went and talked to some people about it and they said you're going back in the woods right now and they pushed me to get back in the woods so it was kind of that same thing i thought you know i'm not going to let this thing beat me um if it meant me harm it would have certainly came after me um because 
as close as we were, or I was to it. Um, so it was one of those, I kind of, in my head, kind of talked myself through it and then ended up back in the woods. And to, to this point, no, it doesn't bother me again at all. And even if I saw another one in the woods right now, wouldn't, wouldn't phase me as far as keeping me out of the woods. I've got more questions here, if unless anybody else does here. Mark, you and I come from the same neck of the woods, the greater Willamette Valley, uh, south of Portland, um, you know, previous native Oregonian here, dislocated up in uh, Washington State. But, um, you know, I know some of the territory that you, you're going into, and in particular, I know some of the shops that you uh, you mentioned earlier to me that, you know, you go into the Bow Rack, which is... Um, you know, one of the better known bow hunting stores uh, out of the Willamette Valley. Actually, and, out of the United States, they have people from Canada, Hawaii, everywhere that fly in um, and and go to that shop. Um, they, uh, Joe Rogan goes there. Um, they've had a couple professional wrestlers, some famous country singers. Uh, there's a lot of people that go to that shop. It's a very well-known shop. Yeah. So, I mean, has it come up that uh, I know that you mentioned that you did a, a design and they took a, a liking to the design that you had there and now are selling shirts. But has it come up in more than a passing fancy as far as a network of other bow hunters? that um, want to grab a beer or something and talk about their encounter? Um, I haven't ran into any bow hunters there that have had that uh, conversation with, but some of the employees I have, um, most of the employees there uh, do believe in it. Um, there was a guy, and unfortunately I wasn't there, and I'd love to have been there, but brought in some photos off, his, off of his trail cam of one, and it was just crystal clear. They said there was no question what it was. It was just crystal clear pictures of, of Bigfoot. You know, the, the owners of the shop are very, you know, I, I've never brought up that, that I've seen one because I know they're very, uh, they don't believe at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as a throwdown to Joe Rogan, who I know is more than a passing interest in the subject matter, here you go. Here's your... Um, Here's your witness right here. And, um, you know, it's just a, a matter of time before this subject matter goes mainstream, like the UFO phenomena. So, you know, what's it going to take? It's going to take another guy like Mark Parker. And I can tell you, you know, just so the audience knows, I used to set up booths um, and, you know, talk Sasquatch to people at beer festivals and Sasquatch festivals. And there was no one more compelling than the hunter that came up to your table and one to describe it, but even more so was the bow hunter because the bow hunter is a next level predator compared to the rifleman. You have to be an athlete to do what you do and you have to get in close. Um, talk to people about the difference between being a bow hunter and being a, you know, a rifle hunter. I'm not making short of rifle hunting. I'm just saying it's a different discipline, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it's very different. Um, a rifle hunter, and, and, and to reiterate what you said, it's nothing against rifle hunters or anything, but um, a bow hunter is definitely a way better hunter than a rifle hunter. Rifle hunter, you can shoot something five, 600 yards, up to 1,000 yards anymore now. Um, me, personally, I'm trying to get in within 20 to 40 yards uh, within an, or to an animal to be able to uh, 
uh, take my shot. Um, certainly I can take longer shots, but ethically I try and keep it between, you know, no more than about 40 yards. Um, so, you know, I'm worried about wind. I'm worried about sight. I'm worried about them hearing everything. So there's a lot that goes into it, um, that really matters with a bow hunter that the rifle hunters can kind of get away with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any questions from uh, Brett or Jiller? I don't want to steal everyone's thunder, but I got a lot of notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, how does that being being a bow hunter and being so close to the animal? How does that change you as far as being? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, building building a rapport with that animal, getting to know that animal better. I mean, you're we're talking a massive difference between a rifle hunter and a bow hunter. Um, yeah, you kind of learn to respect the animal a little bit more. Um, I'm to the point now I've harvested enough animals that, you know, if I ever get one again, I really don't care. I enjoy just getting out there and getting close to nature, have an animal walk that close to you and have no idea you're there. I've had deer walk within five yards of me and never even knew I was there. And to me, that is just the ultimate rush as a hunter to have something that close to you has no idea you're there doing their, their normal, uh, whether they're on their way to a feeding ground or bedding or water, whatever it may be, but to have them that close and, and they don't know it's, it's, it's a huge rush, huge rush. So what I'm kind of getting at here a little bit, Mark is, for lack of a better word, it's kind of an insult that somebody would say to you that you saw a bear or you saw something else. Because you know damn well what these things look like, what these animals look like, because you're up close to them. You've kind of been studying wildlife, more or less, informally, since you were seven or eight years old. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I... Like I said, you know, people can tell me what they want. You know, I've seen, I couldn't tell you how many bears. I know what a bear looks like. There pretty much isn't an animal in Oregon that I haven't seen other than I haven't seen the wolves. I know they're there. I've heard them and stuff, but um, I've never physically seen them. But every every other animal that is in Oregon, I have seen. So I know what everything looks like. They're not going to tell me any different, you know. Last question. Did this thing... Did this Bigfoot look at you like a human or like an animal would look at you? You know, it's kind of hard to say. You know, I I just think he looked something was out of place. He seen me moving, um, you know, physically looking at him. Uh, you know, I was completely camouflaged, had my face painted up camo and and all that stuff. So. You know, he obviously knew I was there, but, you know, he may not have known uh, I was a person or, or what I may, may have been. Um, I definitely don't think he thought I was a game animal because he may have come after me as, you know, food. But um, I'm sure he's seen humans in there before. Uh, this place, some years it gets hunted pretty heavy and some years it, it gets hunted pretty light. Uh, this particular year that I was there. It was pretty light. I only actually ran into one other hunter in there. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm sure he's seen people before, knows what they look like, you know. So, I, 
you know, I, I think he probably did look at me as, as a human over, over an animal, you know, but it's, it's kind of hard to say because, you know, I don't know what they are thinking, you know? So I have a question. So, and I'm trying to remember if we, if we talked about this in the initial interview, but, um, after, after the sighting, when you got home, did you, I mean, did you kind of do a deep dive trying to learn as much as you could um, about what you saw? Were you like um, looking up and Googling Bigfoot and Sasquatch related stuff? At first, no, because I was sort of in denial of what happened. It was like, I almost didn't want to believe, but I believed because I, I saw it. And then, um, like I said, once I got that tattoo, cause I got it probably within a week of it, it happening. And, um, actually the tattoo artist himself completely b- believes in Bigfoot. So I kind of got to talk to him a little bit about it. And then, then once I posted that, uh, on, on that, uh, page and got the answer from Mike, then yeah, that's kind of what started me in, um, reading some books, watching some YouTube videos, uh, looking at some stuff on uh, Facebook, on the internet, just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that, that's what really got me uh, started into it. So, All right. Um, that wasn't the first idea that you had, Mark, that something was in that area of the woods. You had previous action, too. Was it uh, the day before, the week before that you heard or had something happen? So my visual was on Sunday and the previous, I believe it was Wednesday. It may have been Tuesday, but I believe it was Wednesday. Uh, I was on an evening hunt. So I was hunting at the bottom of the hill because the wind is coming from the top to the bottom. So I'm hunting with my face into the wind and sitting there close to some water where some rubs and uh, heavy trails were. So I got set up there and flipped my backpack on the ground and, and got set up, had my bow in my hand and heard something coming up from behind me. And I heard like a little twig uh, uh, just kind of twang off of the log. And again, this place is loaded with windfall and you just can't be quiet walking through there a deer going through there sounds like a herd of elephants going through there. It's so loud to try and, and, and get around in there. So I hear something walk up behind me. Um, it's not breaking a lot of branches, but I could hear, you know, a fairly heavy thud, but it, uh, it was breaking a little bit of brush and it walked right behind me. I would say within 15 yards, 20 yards at the most. And then it would go off to my left-hand side, and it would get to the point where, as I was tucked behind a couple of trees in some brush, and it would walk, come out to my left, and it would just about ready to break out on the trail where I could see it, and it would stop. And it would turn and go all the way to my right and do the same thing. It would just about come out, and it wouldn't. And it just did this for probably 20 minutes, half an hour, just back and forth, back and forth. And I'm thinking, why is this thing not running? You know, it's... If it's a deer or an elk, it's got to smell me and it's, it's got to be out of here. And finally it gets right behind me again. And I hear just bam, 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 big gnarly triple tree knock. And it didn't dawn on me what happened at first. I just heard that and it was getting dark and 
Um, normally, I'm not scared of the woods. A lot of times, nine times out of ten, uh, I wait till it's dark and I walk out with no flashlight. Your eyes just kind of adjust to, to to the light that's there and and to keep from me from pushing any animals that are in there out. You know, I just walk out without a flashlight. Well, that kind of spooked me a little bit. Kind of the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up. And so I threw my backpack on, threw my pistol back in the holster and uh, hiked on out of there kind of in a hurry. And I didn't think anything of it right away because, like I said, I, I wasn't sure what happened. And uh, a couple days later, my buddy showed up on, a, I think it was Thursday night or Friday Friday night. And I told him what had happened. He goes, that was a tree knock, dude. And I'm like, what? He goes, that's a freaking tree knock. And I'm like, you know what? That is right. Um, and, uh, also when I came home, I was listening to uh, another podcast and they had a bunch of recordings of tree knocks and stuff and they had that same exact what I heard. And that's what really convinced me that hundred percent, hundred percent, that was a triple tree knock. Mark, looking back in retrospect, was there anything uh, about those two occurrences you just described? Was there anything like out of the ordinary, like a feeling or like a vibe or just something that just it was off compared to normal? Absolutely. Um, I don't think I'm an empath or anything like that, but um, I grew up in a haunted house. Uh, uh, we had a lot of paranormal stuff happen there, and I always kind of got a weird feeling before something happened. And even here at my house, um, you know, like I told you guys when you were uh, here to talk to me to do the the initial video for the movie, um, I've had some stuff happen here. And it's kind of, I get that weird vibe uh, on something's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't see anything. I just get a weird, you know, kind of a weird feeling, you know, about it. So, yeah, it just something didn't seem right. It definitely didn't feel right when things were happening on both, both times, but um, yeah, it, it definitely kind of had a, a little bit of a vibe in the air. You could kind of, I almost feel it not getting dark, but just something kind of towards that a little bit that it, it just things kind of almost shadow up a little bit for me. And then I know something's gonna, something's going to take place. And don't know what it you, is, but something's going to take place. You told us when we when we initially came and saw you that you think you might have maybe summoned your new friend. Can you can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I just recently found my son's got a Ouija board in the house, and I was not aware of that. So I think that may be part of it. Um, I don't know if it could possibly be the area. We have an Indian burial ground not too far from here. Um, my neighbors down the road, um, they've seen the hat man in their house. Uh, another one, just two or three houses down from them have had, uh, there's one son that it just will not leave him alone. He'll be laying in bed at night. It'll rip the sheets off his bed, um, turn his faucet on in his bathroom. Um, it had him scared. They don't live there anymore, but it had him scared enough that he would not stay home by himself. If, if everybody left for work or whatever, uh, he would leave the house and be gone from the house. So, you know, here I've been, I've been slapped once. I've had an earbud ripped out of my ear. Um, 
I've had scratches down my side one time. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, me and my daughter both saw it, uh, shadow figures walk from her bedroom into my bedroom, uh, on probably three or four occasions. We've seen that we just be sitting there and out of the corner of our eyes, see it walk by and we'll look at each other. Like, did you see that? And we're both like, yeah, we saw that. So, um, yeah, there's some, there's some stuff and I don't know necessarily if it's our house. I think it's the area. I think there's a lot of stuff with the area. Mark, is part of the reason you're being so candid about this, um, obviously you don't care that people know what's going on, but is there a a dual meaning behind being so candid? Do you want to reach out to other people that can sympathize or have empathy for what you're going through? You know, um, I don't care for, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody feels bad for me or whatever, that that's not why I do it. It's more, I think if I open up to people and say, Hey, this is going on with me, that it may cause them to kind of relax a little bit and say, well, okay, this is what's happened to me. You know, that they've been afraid to say anything because they didn't want to look like the, the person that's, um, you know, they don't want to look like the weird guy or weird gal. Um, like, like my neighbor, she had fessed up to me that she'd seen hat man after I, uh, told her some stuff that has gone on here. And, and she was same thing. She was afraid to say anything because she didn't want to be, you know, that lady that's, you know, quote unquote crazy. So she, uh, uh, you know, she's opened up about it now. So that's more what I do it for is to get people to open up and, you know, be able to not bottle it up. Um, cause I, I've, there's a lot of things in life that I've bottled up and it, it does, you no good. And so I've just kind of got to the point now where, you know, I'll open up and talk about it. And if people don't like it, I really don't care at 50 years old. I, I, I just don't care what people think anymore when it comes to that sort of stuff. Mark, I just saw something enter your frame. Did you guys see that? Well, no, I didn't see it, but I was wondering if talking this way was going to. Well, are you seeing something something like this? Because what happens is I I keep getting. (laughs) a video thing up on the middle of my screen. So I keep hitting reset. On no, it I just saw what looked like something up on the corner of your frame, duck in and then duck out. And it's still kind of up there. At least the view that we're looking at mm. it was black. It was all black. Yeah. That wouldn't was surprise me at this point with what goes that on. Was really, house, it wouldn't surprise we'll me. The, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll check the playback. That was very strange. Huh? Okay. Well, I mean, looking into this stuff, looking into the supernatural, looking into shadow beings, you're saying the hat man, this is stuff, you know, that um, smacks of the paranormal and the supernatural outside of people's usual comfort zone. You know, the flash of beauty, Bigfoot revealed was not a supernatural experience for the most part. As far as a documentary, it was a personal narrative story. And so people are going to be shocked that we're going to go down this rabbit hole, but I feel like, you know, we're about 30 minutes into this interview and I, I think we should probably just kind of plow ahead here. Do you feel like there's a connection between um, the supernatural and Sasquatch? And if so, why? So when my first encounter happened, when I, you know, had, had heard it the one night and then seen it a couple nights later, 
to me, it was flesh and blood. I, I didn't care what anybody else said. The people that thought it was paranormal or anything like that, I thought they were crazy. Um, now, after seeing some things that that I've seen uh, in the Owl Moon Lab area, um, it has completely changed my mind. Um, I do think they are um, paranormal or I, they're not a flesh and blood, I should say. Um, I, well, I hold, don't hold that thought because I don't want you to give too much away here because okay. part two is coming out. And you referred to working with Daryl and you meant Daryl Adams. So if yeah. anybody knows my story, uh, buddies with Daryl, Mark was down in that area. And just kind of let people know the periphery of, um, you know, why you may think that. Um, so I've seen orbs down in there. And as soon as the orbs disappear, things have showed up that shouldn't be or, you know, you wouldn't think would be there. You know, I don't want to go into great detail. Cause like I said, I don't want to because uh, it's going to come out in the movie. So. Well, but let's let's tell people a little bit, Mark, because you were, you know, after you met Daryl Adams, um, you were, you know, you had the keys to the kingdom of a really pronounced hotspot. And so initially you thought, well, we'll go down there with some game cams and we'll see if we can get the money shot. And Daryl by then had already started feeding them and uh, baiting them and leaving peanut butter everywhere. And you kind of followed suit. So there was some. Talk about some of that initial weirdness, which probably isn't in part two regarding your game cameras. Okay, so there was uh, in there, Daryl had been using peanut butter and cookies all the time. So they really liked that. So I thought, well, I'll just take some peanut butter cookies with me and took my trail cam in with me. And I set all the cookies up on this um, bush and then I buried my camera in a stump i mean literally buried it where just the sensor and everything was hanging out and i had it set to take six pictures so it would literally take a six picture burst just click 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 and with no delay so it literally if something moved it would sit and continuously take pictures it would never stop until that whatever it was uh, got out of there well it's got a picture of the bush and all of a sudden you see the bush shift to i believe it was to the right uh, really quick. And then as soon as it came to the left, there was no cookies left on the tree. And then it, it stayed right there. It, it never, the brush never moved again. It just shifted to the right, shifted back to the left, and everything was gone. And it was right in the middle of a series of pictures. So it wasn't like, you know, it had stopped in the middle and then, you know, something tripped it again and it, it did it. It was literally in the middle of a series of pictures. How did that happen? I have no idea. No idea. We are still waiting for your SD cards to show up, by the way. <laughs> I can't believe I don't know what the heck happened to those things. That's crazy. Yeah. Wait, what, what is this? I don't know this story. So I actually sent them the SD cards to look at those pictures uh, of that uh, uh, of, of that series of photos, uh, put it in the mail, and I have no idea what happened, but they never ended up getting them. We never got them, and he never he never got them back. I never got them back. Yeah, and we looked into like contacting the postmaster and like check behind the you know the mail box or what you know what I mean like those big tubs where they dump all the mail. 
We're yeah. like, can you take a closer look? Maybe it fell out in the truck. But yeah, I still like there is like a weird voice that's telling me it's like, oh, just wait, they'll show up yeah. after the fact. So yeah, I would. I wish they would because I mean, after you guys get done with them, I'd certainly like to have them back. But now, where are they? Who has them? You know, who knows? It's 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 frustrating yeah. for you guys. It's frustrating for me. It's frustrating for our audience that wants to see this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, you know, it's it's funny, Mark. We went down to um, – Jill and I went down to Bluff Creek in June, and um, I set up a trail, cre- trail cam. And we were just above Bluff Creek. We were camped out with um, Thomas Potter and his wife. And all night long, we didn't get anything except for us moving around the campsite. <clears throat> And so I just left the, the trail cam there. I think it was probably, I don't know, 25 yards from our campsite. It wasn't that far away. And we put an apple in front of it, like right dead center. Broad daylight. Broad yeah. daylight. We put an apple. I was like, ah, let's put an apple in front of the camera and see what happens. So the apple is like literally right in the middle of the road. Okay. And, and sensitivity is at high. So in order to get to Bluff Creek, we had to drive down a road. And we're at the, t- we're at the top of a peak. And Bluff Creek is, I don't know, maybe 1,500 feet down in this kind of valley. And so we have to drive past the camera in order to get down to, to, to where you can no longer drive anymore and you can hike down to Bluff Creek. So um, so I was like, yeah, let's put an apple out. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, apple's right in front of the camera. And we take off. And so on the camera, we pick up the cars driving by. We pick up me putting the apple and walking away. It's all there. So – we get back around, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, let's check the camera. Let's see what happened. Well, the apple so, was gone, just first and foremost. Yeah, well, we like, yeah. Oh. yeah, of course. I was like, oh, I need to check the camera because the apple was gone. It was like maybe some raccoons or a deer got it or something. And and as I'm going through the camera, I see Robert Lederman, who left us first. We see him come by. He drives by, and he, he takes off, and it, it documents all that stuff. And then I think it was after he had left, I think the apple was still there. Maybe it was – regardless of the fact that it was picking up all of the motion. And the apple, it went from one frame to the next. One frame, the apple's there. The next frame, the apple's not there in the middle of the picture. So I can't figure out how – I mean Bigfoot or not. If it was another animal, it would have been next to have been possible unless it was an eagle or something that swooped in so fast and grabbed it. But that's even next to impossible because any other animal would have meandered and just, oh, an apple and, you know, walked over and nibbled on it and whatever. Trail cams nowadays, it's less than a second to trigger that yeah. and take a picture. So there's no way an animal, you know, a quote unquote normal animal is going to walk in front of that or fly in front of it and it not get a picture of it. There's no, that's way. exactly right. And, and, you know, I bought a high end camera because it's like, I don't want to screw around with, you know, I want to get the best technology. It's a 4k camera, quickest release time. You know what I mean? And it there one second gone the next. And, you know, it's like, we can't make like, we can't really go pub- too public with this because people are gonna be like, "Wow, well, you deleted the picture or something," you know. Like, there's no evidence there; it's just right. gone. <laughs> so, uh, am I under the understanding that no one has the photos from that game cam? 
I do. Mine? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I have I have the photos. I don't have the SD card. So that's something oh. that uh, I assume that uh, Mark you had copies of, that Daryl Adams had copies of. I certainly have copies of them. Yeah, so, I, I sent them to you guys. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a copy because I I just saved them on my SD card because I had the SD card, so I wasn't mm-hmm. uh, you know I wasn't concerned about. So one of the things, too, that happened in the photos, uh, Mark, is that um, there were some strange light anomalies coming off of the right-hand side of the game can entering from the right to the left. Yeah. Talk about that as far as – I don't work with game cam, so I don't know what's normal and not, but it has an IR sensor on it, and I suppose overexposure does happen. Um, Talk about that image. So it's it's going to depend on how how close things are. If it's super close, it's going to blur out whatever it is. I mean, if it's a bug or anything like that. Um, but if it's out at any distance at all, and if it's you know uh, a light anomaly or anything, and it takes a picture, you know, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, you know, the only ones I can really explain away are possibly bugs up close. But uh, you can usually tell those because it'll take up most of the screen. Uh, most of the frame of the picture, um, but if it's out at distance at all, you know it's it's hard to say. It's not going to pick up the infrared can only go so far, and it's not going to pick up something tiny like a bug out at you know ten yards or 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 more. So it, it's you know it's hard to explain away some of that stuff. It definitely is. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, I didn't know that nobody had a copy of these here, so I will uh, I will disseminate those out. Now, obviously, you're going to want the original stuff, but uh, as far as men in black stealing evidence, nah, 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 yeah. we got copy. Yeah. <laughs> Probably should have asked you about that when we were editing the first documentary, but that's okay. Better late than never. <laughs> I'm glad that somebody has copies. Yeah, I, yeah actually, yeah. I kind of forgot that I'd sent them to you and Daryl both, but yeah, I remember uh, Daryl sent me quite a f- uh, bit of pictures, too, that he's had from, from down in there. Yeah, yeah. And you found tracks, too. Uh, you and Daryl found some, you found weavings, you found tracks, and then eventually you had a sighting, and that's going to be explained in part two as as well. So it's not like, I mean, your adventure has just begun, really. Do you think that, you know, in a way that uh, you're kind of marked um, I, I kind of think so. Um, I think it's one of those, it may be, like I said, originally it was flesh and blood. And now I don't believe that. I think it's something else. And I think they get comfortable with a certain person and their personality and, you know, kind of understand them. And I think they'll open up a little bit more towards you. Um, so I, I think so, you know, I, I, I I think they do kind of take a liking to me. Um, most people that know me will, will tell you I'm very laid back. Um, I I don't make fun of people. I'm, I'm just a normal guy, you know, so to speak, just very easygoing. And, and uh, I do, I am very protective over people. Um, that's for sure. Whether it be family, f- friends, or anything like that, um, I will definitely stand there and take a bullet for anybody. Um, that's just how I am. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I think they do. I think they pick certain people to open up to, 
um, and certain people that they don't, you know, trust or whatever, they're not, they're not going to show themselves to them. No, I wonder too, and this just kind of came to, I wonder if there's more of a reverence for the bow hunter uh, than there is the rifleman. Um, obviously going back to indigenous people, but they're, you know, if we're talking about something other than just a primate, if we're talking about something that has culture and language, and you talked about strange sounds you'd never heard before in the woods, and I've had bow hunters tell me that they've heard exactly what Ron Moorhead has played all these years in the Sierra sounds and welled up in tears and said, you know, they've been waiting 20 years to hear that. But I digress. You as a bow hunter, do you think there was a sense of kind of, you know, wonderment over the fact that you're doing something different than a rifleman i mean and we haven't even asked really what the face looked like i mean there's there's all sorts of questions i have for you here but talk about being a bow hunter and and your experience with with seeing the sasquatch my guess is they're probably less fearful of a bow hunter um you know they're out in the woods they you know, they know what's going on when the rifle hunters get out there and stuff and, you know, have their boom sticks and, and stuff like that. They see what goes on. They see them shoot something and it drops. So I think they, they know, you know, to kind of stay away from that situation. Um, like, like in Montana, they have a huge problem right now with grizzly bears. As soon as the grizzly bears hear that guns, uh, gunshot, they know something's laying on the ground and they come into it and, basically are taking the animals away from the hunters because the, the way the laws are there, you can't uh, do anything about it. Basically you lose your animal that you just harvested um, to a grizzly bear. You can't, can't do anything about it. So I, I think the, uh, the Bigfoot or Sasquatch understand that same thing. They see that animal drop. Why do I want to go out and step out there and, and possibly same thing, you know, get shot or, or anything like that where the bow hunter is going to see it up close, realize what it is. And, you know, even if I was in, in danger, what am I going to do with a bow? I mean, realistically, what am I going to do to something with a bow? It, it'll, any animal is going to be on me so stinking fast that I can't do anything about it. I'm literally going to take the brunt of, of whatever hits me, hits me. You mean you're you're not like Legolas and Lord of the Rings, just zoom, 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 one nope. after another, or Hawkeye? No, 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 Can a big, then that, do you think a Bigfoot could catch an arrow mid midair? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I can't. I, I don't know, man. She'll keep it in her teeth, actually, if it's going yeah. this way. Yeah. And that let's let's go back real quick to the description of the face here because we we didn't get that in the first part of the documentary and I don't know if it's going to be in part two. Did you guys do a, a deep description of what Mark saw as far as the facial features? We didn't get too heavily into it, I don't believe. Is no, there something I, I there? We did. Yeah, but can is there detail, Mark? Yeah, so uh, some of it I did see, you know, good detail in, some I didn't. So the, the conical head, he had a brown um, leathery looking face uh, not super dark but it you know it was a definite brown it was lighter than his hair his hair was a, uh, a very dark chocolate cover or color um, eyes wise he was far enough away that I couldn't couldn't see it 
you know, I, I couldn't tell you if he had whites in his eyes or anything like that. He was, I want to say around 40 ish yards. Um, if I'm remembering right from me, um, I could tell his nose, same thing, looked like a human nose, but looked like a boxer where he'd had it beat flat on him. Um, real thin lips, uh, as far as hair is kind of hairline went around here, around his eyes down and back around his mouth, almost like a, you know, coming around almost like a beard on the sides and stuff. Um, long hair, you know, it, it looked a little thin. Um, I could see just a little bit of shoulder because he was leaning out, you know, from behind the tree. So I could see just a little tiny bit of this. Um, not a whole lot. It was mostly just his, his face, but he was probably his head, I would guess, eight-ish foot off the ground, somewhere around there. So, you know, it's a fairly tall, a fairly tall one. Wow. And no real deep expression? Was there, was just there anything of, that you... Go just, ahead. Just kind of straight-faced, you know, just mm-hmm. not smiling, not frowning, just kind of almost, you know, his lips were almost straight, just kind of staring at me, just kind of almost deadpan, just looking at me and and then he just kind of, like I said, he just kind of disapp- disappeared behind the tree and couldn't tell you where he went. Yeah. You know, one of the things, too, I want to offer up to people, including you, Mark, um, for witness descriptions is uh, my buddy Alex Whitcomb. I'd love to put you together with him and see if he could sketch what you saw, you know, just to um, maybe not relive it, but just to kind of put you know, a button in that episode with you. He's, he's really good at witness descriptions. So if that's something you want to do down the road, uh, we can do another private session like this and, uh, and sketch it out as a group. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd be up to it. Mark, would you ever consider uh, going under hypnosis uh, with Doug Meacham, who we featured in the first documentary, um, especially, regarding the second uh, sighting you had with Daryl down yeah. at Al Moon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and Doug Meacham will be coming up here uh, soon as far as a guest with us. And um, boy, oh boy, uh, a lot of questions for, for Doug down the road. But if people have questions for you, Mark, um, is there a way that, you know, let's just say a bow hunter sitting back and say, you know, I never talked about this with anybody and uh, this is a guy I trust or just people have questions for you because they love the subject matter. Is there a way someone can reach out to you privately or on social media? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, uh, Mark Parker. Um, I think I have it open uh, where you can see my cell phone number and my email. My email is blacktailmark at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Instagram uh, and it's under blacktailmark. Um yeah, just reach out to me. I'll certainly listen to what you have to say. And, you know, if you want to hear some of the other stuff that I've seen or, or anything like that, yeah, it's, I'll certainly talk to you about it. Blacktailmark at gmail.com if you have questions for Mark Parker. I appreciate your time. We appreciate your time here tonight, Mark. And, um, of course, we won't be strangers. And uh, Stay tuned, folks. you got a wild ride coming up this year with the extended interview with Mark Parker. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate yeah, no your time problem. tonight. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Take All right. Easy. Thanks again, Mark. See you guys.